There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. This episode of The Ringer F1 Show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. Hello, welcome to the Ringer F1 show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Megan Schuster, hosting today, filling in for Kevin Clark who is officially on new dad duty. So please send any and all Twitter congrats to Kevin if you feel so inclined. Very exciting time for him and his family. Today, I am joined by the one and only Spanners Ready. Spanners, how are you? I'm doing well. I hope Kevin's holding up well on his paternity leave. I want to make it clear that I specifically and publicly advised him not to go <laughs> on this latest adventure. So I hope all, all's going well. Um, he's on Twitter an awful lot for a new dad, so I hope he's not getting in trouble. He, he is. He is. Lots of uh, NFL tweets. I'm hoping that that continues into F1 season because we always like Kevin's takes on things. Um, but yeah, very, very busy time for him. Very new time for him. So uh, yeah, keep him. Keep thinking about him and baby Teddy. <laughs> um, so yeah, for our purposes today, we're going to cover a few different things. There's been lots of news since we last recorded. Uh, some things to preview since the new season is approaching way more rapidly than I am personally prepared for. Uh, launch season is almost upon us. Um, yeah, lots to talk about. Is it weird that when I think of launch season, my brain immediately goes to rich energy? Is that, is that like too bizarre, too weird, or is that normal? I don't really know, but so it's, it's interesting. All our brains go to different places for launch season. I cannot get the image of Jensen Button and Fernando Alonso sitting on a tire for some reason, wearing sleeveless leather gilets or waistcoats. For some reason, because it's yeah. fashion. <laughs> because they were magnificent, that's why. Uh, yeah, I do feel like the car launches used to be very different. You know, you'd have the, the Spice Girls jumping up and down and and uh, you'd have fireworks, it felt like. Whereas mm -hmm. now it's very much, it feels like a sponsor livery reveal, which in mm. itself is kind of exciting. But I think the teams are much more guarded about what they're doing now. So you're likely to see basically last year's car 
with a new livery on it. And and that's about all. They get to say some corporate things to to reassure their shareholders. But if I'm wrong, and Williams come out of the come out of the gate with jugglers and a lion tamer, then I'll be pleasantly <laughs> surprised. It it has seemed a lot more boring. And and all of the kind of like quote unquote hype videos I've been seeing on social media of like, you know, a Red Bull car driving through New York City because they're doing yeah. their launch in New York. It it feels very, very cultivated, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of wanted to ask you about this so we can just kind of dive into launch season first. Um, what is important to take away from car launch season? Like, like, is there very much that we can actually tell about the car just from the launch date? Should we be waiting really until testing to kind of make any determinations about this? Is it just kind of like, oh, that car looks pretty and that's like an okay takeaway from all of this? Or is there much more to yeah. delve into? It's punter's choice, to be honest, Meg. I, <laughs> I think I think you could choose to close your eyes and go, right, I'm not going to watch anything until final qualifying in the Bahrain Grand Prix 3rd of March, which mm-hmm. is, what, two months away? No, a month and a, and a week away. I think you could do that and, and genuinely not really miss anything. But mm-hmm. where's the fun in that? You know, as armchair <laughs> pundits, we want to be on top of it. We want bragging rights on social right. media. You want to be the person who spotted a winglet on the launch mm-hmm. and be like, mm-hmm. ah, that winglet is going to add 8.7 seconds per mm-hmm. lap to the house. Mm-hmm. That would be quite a leap, wouldn't it? Um, does that even get them to the front of the grid yet? I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, you want to play along. That's completely up to you as well, because we get so much information now as fans, way more than before. So now we're getting leaks. I'm sure we'll talk about the Ferrari simulator. They're talking about having a second extra. Endless mm-hmm. speculation about whether Mercedes are abandoning their zero pod concept. I think they are. I've been reading the tea leaves in motorsport.com <laughs> articles and just listening to little snippets from an interview with Mike Elliott and going, I, I think, I think that they identified the mistake they made and it was before they went down the zero side pods. So we get, get okay. to kind of play this game and, and observe and tease out information. But then really the first bit of armchair punditry that we can engage in is testing. And I mm-hmm. believe winter testing is being broadcast on, on F1 TV. So okay. whether or not that will be on other services like Dazen F1 for Europe or Sky mm-hmm. TV for, for UK. But if it is on, like definitely watch it. Like definitely just have the chance to sit and absorb some no consequence Formula One broadcasting. I, I used to have, a, there used to be a pub near me that used to have the testing on. I don't know oh whether anyone would do that anymore. And you can just sit and melt into your, to your bar stool and just let that, that Formula One, uh, you know, pre-season drift over you where Mm-hmm. It's full of excitement. It's full of potential. And I love it because if you are a, even if you're a Haas fan, you can be dreaming of a heavy point scoring season. If yeah. you're Ferrari, you could be doing your annual rich ritual of building up your hopes and expectations only to have them bitterly dashed <laughs> in the spring. Um, so yeah, I think you can just, you can choose. You could close your eyes and wait for Bahrain or you could, you know, get deep into it. I choose obsessively combing over every detail. I love it. I. I always really appreciate both from kind of a comedy perspective and from actual learning information, the social media posts that will take a picture of a car and like circle, you know, a very, very tiny, tiny image or tiny thing and like 
try to go in depth and explain like why this one little maneuver and how it looks slightly different from last year is going to like completely turn Haas' season around. <laughs> it's one of my favorite times of the F1 calendar, if I'm being totally honest with you. There's a lot of, there's been a boon actually in tech journalists and tech social media accounts. And it's great that the tech side of Formula One is being appreciated now, but I only have to go back seven or eight years when I started F1 podcasting no one cared about the tech side of Formula One. <laughs> there was two F1 journalists covering it. There was Matthew Summerfield of motorsport.com and there was uh, Craig Scarborough. And those two guys mm-hmm. are still fantastic. You need to go and follow those two guys now. They are the tech OGs. But we used to feature on, our, on my podcast, we used to feature you know specialist tech segments and they used to get mm-hmm. no downloads because people weren't <laughs> interested. Uh, now there is a big boon in it and uh, you have to be careful because with an increase in quantity... Obviously, the mm. quality is a little spread. So, yeah, you get a lot of, you know, armchair tech guys just randomly circling things. And it can look a bit like a conspiracy theory, you know, like they're yeah, anomaly hunting right. and pattern hunting. So I'd say <laughs> pick your tech sources carefully. Go and follow Summers. He's my favorite. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, launch season rapidly approaching. I think we get our first. Is Red Bull first? February no, 3rd? William. Oh, have Red Bull superseded them? Oh, yeah. So it's I not in chronological so. order on the F1 website. Trixie. Okay, yeah. Mm. So February 3rd uh, in New York. So that's Red Bull. They always do yeah. put on a bit of a show. So I'm mm-hmm. a bit jealous of my friend Matthew, who is going to be going along and, and trying to watch that in New York. And then mm-hmm. followed by Williams, which is predictably, I think, going to be online. I I. I still get the feeling with Williams that they don't have flashy show circus money to to throw to throw around and do that. So I think they're the first ones. And and I think that's fair. You know, they have a a a lot of other concerns that should be higher priority maybe than having an interesting launch day. So I, you know, I support them keeping it in-house, keeping it, keeping it tight, uh, really focusing all of that money on trying to create a decent car, one that can score more than eight points in a season. Um one date that I find very fascinating is Ferrari putting their launch on Valentine's Day. Is is Valentine's Day just like not a thing in Italy or are they trying to like <laughs> co-brand the red of the car with the red for Valentine's Day? I, I don't know. Have... If I was a Ferrari employee's significant other, I would not be thrilled about this. Yeah. Who, who, who was there messing? It was some, some bitter person who's like, if no one <laughs> loves me, then no one else can enjoy Valentine's Day either. You're all at work, double shifts, half pay. Um, it could just be <laughs> a coincidence, of course, couldn't yeah. it? But yeah, yeah, February 14th. And um, I, I think they are one of the outfits that they do take the car launches a little bit seriously. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you have to go online and you have to look for the Ferrari, I think they were celebrating 100 years or something, and they had these dancers and ribbons and sashes yeah. and lights. Um, so they like a little bit of a show, does Ferrari. But I think mm-hmm. expectation management is key for all of these car launches. It's not, it's not for me something where I've got it in my calendar and I'm, I'm waiting for, for, for it to appear on, online or on Twitter or uh, on TikTok. I will let those car launches pass and I'll catch up with them later. Yes, yes, very fair. Um, since we're already talking about Ferrari, should we get into some yes. some Ferrari news? Some some uh, piece of excitement, perhaps? Uh, so a new report came out, I think it was last week or maybe over the weekend, that the 675 Ferrari's 2023 car has been going through some simulation testing. And early reports are that it's over a second faster than the 2022 edition. Uh, obviously, we can take this with, with many, many grains of salt. Um, it's not even on track yet. These are all simulation numbers. But if it's even close to accurate, uh, that could create a very competitive championship this year, especially with 
maybe a no-nonsense new team principal in charge. And, you know, Charles giving a lot of quotes this offseason where he's like, I really need to buckle down and focus and take this super seriously. And like, you know, this is the the time to to kick it into gear. Um, are we all being kind of sold on something ridiculous reading this number? Or is this so like in American sports, and I don't know if they do this in Europe or the UK, there's like always there are always quotes in the offseason that players are coming in like in the best shape of their life. This is like a, a very, very classic, you know. We interviewed Draymond Green yesterday and he's coming into camp in the best shape of his life. Is that what Ferrari is doing here? Like just kind of gaslighting us all into believing them again? Or is this something that we can actually put like stock in? If Ferrari was a parent, it would be a different parent to Mercedes because it's all about expectation management. If you've Mm. caught any quotes from Toto Wolf, he's far more in my line of parenting. So like my son will... (laughs) See, see, there's a bowling alley nearby. Dad, can we go bowling? And I'll be very much saying to him, well, we don't know the opening times. It might not be open <laughs> at a time we can go. We don't know the prices. It might not be good value, but but if the mm. stars align and it's a good price and it's open, and if it's free because it might be booked up, maybe we can go bowling, but don't expect it. And that's what Toto Wolf has been doing. He's been saying, <laughs> you know, don't assume we're just going to catch up with, with Red Bull. We might. Mm-hmm. We're optimistic, but you can't assume we're going to leap there. Ferrari are just the opposite. Ferrari are like a parent that takes you to the fairground shows you all the wondrous rides, all the candy floss and all the 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 hooker duck. Do you have that in America? Where you mm-hmm. hook a duck out of a pond and win a prize and mm-hmm. then and then hands you like two pounds. Go on, go and enjoy yourself all day. <laughs> but but dad, I can't do anything with two dollars at the fair. And this is what Red uh, Ferrari do every single season. And it's just a question of how long these high expectations last. So last season, Mm -hmm. they managed to carry it on a little bit further before ultimately falling away. But in in the modern era of of F1, kind of post-Schumacher, they really seem to have come out strong in in the media before the season starts, Mm -hmm. always getting stuff like this. We always hear they're a second faster. The, The engine is now, they've now got two engines in the car. And then when it comes to, to say Friday practices or even pre-season testing, they really seem to, they want to show their teeth. Like there's no mm-hmm. sandbagging. They come out there with a, a trimmed down car, the right weight, less fuel, the proper tires, drivers pushing. And and so that's why I think we're ultimately usually a little bit disappointed by Ferrari when it comes to, to race day. So if these are true, if these figures are true, they're a second faster than the simulator. It's actually even a bit more impressive than that because I think the regulations were trying to take away about half a second of performance mm-hmm with the the ground effect. So right. So there's a slight difference in the regulations, not a tech person, um, but that would mean in real terms, they've kicked up a second and a half, but obviously some of that would have been developed through the season, last season. Sure. Um, uh, and we don't know how early they killed the development of last season's car. So right. whilst Matteo Bonotto was sitting there going, well, we could still win the next hundred races and, and win this championship. Were they quietly giving up on last year's car? And developing this year's car. So um, as someone who's um, not a Ferrari fan, uh, I would like to encourage the Ferrari fans, the Tifosi, to absolutely 100% get your hopes up as much as possible. And then let's chat in April. <laughs> I think my, my favorite part of this story for, for you know, us as being kind of neutral party observers is that oh, yeah, any, yeah, way, too, yeah. any way it shakes out is, is fun. Like, 
it, mm. it could go that the car is actually a full second, second and a half faster than it was last year. And we get a great constructors drivers championship race in 2023, which is great. It could be that this is all a lie and the car flames out and they, you know, crash and burn and we get all of that drama. Like, I feel like either direction we are kind of winning in this, which is great. Um, but yeah, I, I am very curious to see not only the car once it gets on the track, but like you said, the the development of the car, because I think that is really where they struggled last year. And, you know, they had a lot of engine problems down the stretch that I'll be very curious to see whether that is part of these changes and fixes or if so the car is just more there aerodynamic. There is some oh. news on that. I think okay. because uh, while this was coming out of that's uh, the same articles, I believe it was Formula Uno in Italy mm -hmm. and the Google Translate isn't doesn't really suit because uh, okay. it comes up with some flowing and majestic language. It says <laughs> it talks about the um, the S seventy five. What's the new car? Oh no, six seven five is its project name. That's not what the car is going to be called. Mm -hmm. But it says the new Ferrari was born into a, <laughs> a, a, a valley of optimism. It's such beautiful flowing language. Wow. But one of the, the article, the stories in the article there was that whilst they're not improving the the power and pace of the car, they are working on reliability. And okay. this is interesting because the regulations were frozen except for reliability changes. Mm. So whilst, um, you know, whilst my, my supportability maintenance engineer hat says to me, always work on reliability first, I think the approach they took was to go all out on performance, knowing that the only thing they could fix down the line is reliability. Mm. But reliability doesn't just mean you will break down less often. Reliability also means you can push it harder. So if they can get, as was being reported, another 30 horsepower out of that mm -hmm. engine reliably, then that's a significant step up. Sure. When you look at the, the noises coming out of Alpine and the Renault engine, they're talking about no performance increase, but just less failures. So, mm. so that could be significant. So, you know, that kind of extra horsepower, you know, that's going to help them with, you know, just getting that edge in qualifying, giving them more options on race pace. Not that they're always flat out during the race because you're managing tires, you're managing fuel, but it gives mm -hmm. them an option. It gives them a weapon. So I think that's something to be genuinely optimistic about. Having uh, Bonotto out, I mm -hmm. think probably helps because I just, I lost all faith in what he was saying last season yeah. because he was saying, well, we can still win a hundred races when it looked like the team really had given up on development. He'd always say, no, we don't really have strategy problems. Look, look, Mercedes made that mistake one time, even mm -hmm. though they were making mistake after mistake after mistake. And even though there they seemed to be a breakdown in communication between signs and the pit wall, he was just up front. You know, he, fair enough, he's shielding his team, but it meant us as consumers, I just disregarded what he was saying. So maybe Fred Vasseur comes in a little bit no-nonsense. Maybe he gets a grip of that strategy side. Maybe there's a, a more frank uh, ability to acknowledge the problem. Like you can't cure a mm -hmm. problem until you acknowledge it. So maybe he acknowledges the problem. Maybe Charles, like you says, does get a little bit of um, a grip and stops crashing every other Friday practice. <laughs> and I think you could put all those little factors together at Ferrari and, and unlock. So there's, there's low hanging fruit to be right. grabbed at. So there is hope. You can hope. Yeah. And, and just from some of the early reports I've seen from Fred Vasseur's tenure, it's, it doesn't sound like he's coming in and trying to make lots of wholesale changes right away. It really seems like he's in like steady the ship mode. Let's get everybody on the same page. Let's make sure that we are doing, you know, what we're already doing well. 
and, you know, kind of, like you said, correcting those small mistakes, gathering that, you know, low hanging fruit. So I'll, I'll be very interested to see how that shakes out in the early races. And, and like you, you said, if, you know, the engine is more reliable this year, especially in some of those late races, those high altitude races where they struggled last year, um, it, it could be a really fun season. It could be. And this, look, the beginning of this, uh, this, the beginning of the year, when you're looking forward to the season, everyone's hoping for the same thing. Everyone's hoping that there's four teams up front and you're going to get like a 2012 start to the season where mm-hmm. you had seven different winners in seven races. Maldonado won in a Williams in 2012 in one of those early races. I think it was Barcelona. So everyone's hoping for that. And if mm-hmm. you've come to Formula One relatively recently, you you might have been spoiled. Like if you came in around 2017 and you see... Mercedes and Ferrari going at it, Vettel versus Hamilton, or or now and then you see that kind of wane away, but Red Bull start to get stronger. Then you get mm-hmm. that amazing battle in 2021. You could be forgiven for thinking that that's the norm, or that happens quite often. I think most <laughs> seasons that I've been watching, there has been a team that's kind of gotten a, a dominant run. So you know, Red Bull 2011, Red Bull 2013, Braun 2009, winning the first six or seven races. Mercedes out the hybrid era, 14, 15, 16, miles away from the pack. Mm-hmm. You know, we could be entering a Red Bull uh, era of dominance because Red Bull last season were were flawless. They were just mm-hmm. about perfect. And whilst there were two other teams with the potential to catch them, they they still have work to do. They have things to prove. I can't see where a big misstep from Red Bull is going to come. So mm-hmm. those two teams could fall short again. I, In fact, I am happy to name an amount of money. And if I have it, I will bet you that, that the Ferrari challenge fades away by, by April, May. Um, mm. I'm more confident that Mercedes will be able to get their act together, but they were struggling so much that there's quite yeah. a, a big mountain to overcome. So uh, during the, the Mercedes hybrid era, you could hear the commentary and it would be, Friday practice, like, oh, maybe Mercedes are a little off the mark here. Um, <laughs> oh, Ferrari are looking good. And then qualifying, oh, actually, that Mercedes, it does look quite fast when it came to Q1. And then mm-hmm. in Q3, I think in 2016, the British commentator had an audible sigh when the Mercedes went and pulled out their final qualifying time. And, you know, the commentator was just like, oh, no. You know, I, I, don't, in, I don't know if they actually said, oh, no, but that's how I remember it in my head because it was, oh, no, not another Mercedes-dominated <laughs> season. But it could very well be that with, with Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Since we're already on the subject of Red Bull, uh, yeah. there was a little bit of uh, explanationing from Christian Horner last week about what exactly happened between Max and Checo <gasps> in Brazil. And I, I, <laughs> I, I like, yeah, we need to talk about it because it's really a whole lot of nothing, but I feel like there are some tea leaves to be read here. And so we can get into it. So uh, the last lap of the Brazilian Grand Prix last year, Max was in sixth p- place. Checo was in seventh. Max had already had the championship locked up and Checo could have used the extra points in the race for second with Charles Leclerc. Instead, Max refused and said over the radio, I already told you, or I told you already last summer, don't ask me again. I gave my reasons and I stand by it. Very dramatic. And Checo responded with saying, it shows who he really is about Max not letting him pass. So last week, Christian gave an interview and said, you know, all of that drama is behind them. He said all the fault lies with the the team. His Basically, his explanation was that they hadn't sat the drivers down before the race and discussed 
you know, if they were in this exact scenario, what needed to happen, which to a certain degree, I, I, you know, obviously they should be discussing Mm. all range and manner of outcomes with the drivers before the race. But like, why would you like, like at what point would you need to go down the list and be like, Max, if you're in sixth then Checo's in seventh, then you let him pass. But maybe if you're in, you know, third and fourth, we don't, you know, like at at what point does that become redundant and a little bit ridiculous? (sighs) Um, so basically his his quote was, obviously it was unfortunate what happened, but it was quickly discussed openly and transparently, which I would like to talk about. And both drivers were very clear, open, and honest with each other. And from that, as a team, we move on. And the dynamic between the drivers is absolutely fine. So first of all, I, I think we need to hear from Checo before determining that things yeah. are absolutely fine. Um, maybe we'll get to some footage of this in Drive to Survive. I don't know. <laughs> but do you buy any of this? Any part of this? Is, is any of this no. convincing to you? Like I, I'm uh, just so I'm so no. curious about all of this. I don't. I don't. I, I don't. That's. It seems like obviously some some bad blood was going mm-hmm. down there. And when you have mm-hmm. Max's family tweeting about the the marital. Uh, affairs of or marital status of of Perez and mm-hmm. you know what he gets up to after Monaco like we're fully in gossip territory here don't tell anyone but I secretly like I dig it I'm into it like, oh, like, yeah. like let's talk about it but mm-hmm. there's clearly blood bad blood mm-hmm. and so for Horner he wants to come out and say all is well all is harmonious at the right. team oh yeah yeah I suppose we did discuss some scenarios but not exactly if they happen right. to be seventh or eighth like you wouldn't need to do that you would just go hey Max You've won the title. Well done. Brilliant driving this year, by the way. We just think you're great. Perez still has second race to to catch up with. If there's any situation where you can help him, will you? And that would have been the point where he would have gone, no, I don't want to because Mm -hmm. he he did the dirty at Monaco and cost me a chance of pole position. And Mm -hmm. and you're telling me that didn't come up? So what's the truth? What do we reckon really happened? There can't have been a conversation to Verstappen where they said, help Perez out. And he said, yes, I will. That's fine. And then it got changed in the race. No, he was very clear. He said, no, I've given my reasons. Don't ask me again. I think they just hoped that if the situation came up, they could ask him to pull over. And it very Mm -hmm. publicly didn't work out. And now this is just papering, papering over the cracks. And I I don't believe it at all. Yeah. I, I, I believe that they discussed it and I believe that, uh, they were probably pretty open and honest with each other, but I, I would think that that op- openness and honesty maybe would have made things worse, at least if it's coming from Max and how he feels about this situation. Um, this is like definitely something that I'm, I'm going to be watching very, very closely and, and kind of going through all of these interactions with a fine tooth comb <laughs> this season, especially now that, you know, Daniel yeah. Ricardo is waiting in the wings and, and Checo, you know, after his Monaco win, seems to have kind of some newfound confidence that he really can win in this car. And that given the opportunity, um, he can do more than, you know, just kind of come in second to Max. Uh, so I I don't know. I think I, I admire Christian for coming out here and like just lying like that and and trying to pretend uh, like everything words, is cool and words. my my words no no i i yeah he's he is saying you know what what he needs to say as as the team principal yeah. but it is uh yeah it's going to be a very very fascinating dynamic i think all season uh, as viewers and listeners and consumers of this this content i think we do have to remember remember that 
a lot of the time they're going out and speaking to the press. They sort of have to. I guess it's in their contracts, certain certain amounts, mm-hmm. and it's just part of their day-to-day routine. A lot of the quotes are answers to questions rather than them running out into the street trying to declare this kind of thing. You know, they've been asked a question, mm-hmm. then that soundbite comes out, and they've got to say something. Uh, we're, we're dreaming if we think we're going to ask, hey, what was going on with that, Mr. Horner? And he goes, right, come on. I'll level with you. Come on, come on, sit down, sit down here. Here's a beer. I'll tell you everything. They were at each other like feral cats fighting over a scrap <laughs> of tuna. Things are not okay. We're going to have to fire one of them. They're not going to say stuff like that until they absolutely have to. So I don't think we can blame him for you know putting out a, pos- a positive image of his team. That is his job, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It would be more fun if he said the thing about feral cats, but... I, I agree with you. It is it is a difficult, difficult situation. I should situation. be a team principal, shouldn't I? <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be pretty great. I would love it. I would love it. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving. But of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, Try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. Should we talk about Williams? Yes, ma'am. What do you want to know? Let's let's talk about their new uh, team principal. So last week they hired James Vowles to replace Jost Capito, who stepped down in December after two years in charge. Uh, Vowles is the former director of strategy at Mercedes. He had been uh, with the team for I think over two decades. Had long been involved in strategy decisions. Uh, gave many uh, infamous radio messages to Valtteri Bottas that started with Valtteri mm. it's James. If you if you remember those, that's he is the he is the James in those conversations. 
Um, the back half of last season, he moved a bit away from direct strategy decisions, uh, oversaw Mercedes young driver program, had some input on kind of the future direction of the program overall and is very, very close with Toto Wolf. So he's gotten glowing reviews from Toto Lewis, uh, and now he's going to have a very major role in shaping the early careers of Alex Albon and Logan Sargent. Um, what, what do you make of the hire overall for both for the Williams side and for what Mercedes is losing by not having James next year? Yeah, well, I think it's it's really not uh, an indication that Mercedes does seem like a, a good company. You know, good companies don't hold people back. And if right. you've ever watched Star Trek Voyager, where Captain Janeway and her crew were trapped in the Delta Quadrant, there was very little room for promotion. And you can't have you can't have James Vowles being like Ensign Kim being an ensign for ten years as they try to make their way. Only Star Trek fans will get this. But obviously, <laughs> if people like Toto Wolf aren't moving on yet, there's there's mm-hmm. going to be people under him with so much experience that that could fulfil higher roles and. For Mercedes, they've got a really good outlet in Williams to put someone who is still very much in their family, in their thoughts, and you go, well, you'd want Toto Wolff's replacement eventually to have team experience. So that that right. has been floating around that perhaps this is kind of a, a training school for James Wells. But I think maybe that's a little disrespectful from the Williams mm-hmm. point of view. They have agency as a team. They're not an out-and-out customer team of Mercedes. I don't think they take orders, but they clearly have a good relationship. So you'd have to think, did they get a discount on engines from George Russell being there? I think I think they did. Will will they get a continued engine discount for 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 taking on for taking on James Vowles? I I wonder what that arrangement was. Mm. Is it good for for everyone involved? It looks like that at the moment. So he's obviously a very senior person. I don't think an mm. organization such as Mercedes F1 keeps people on for 20 years just because it would be awkward to let them go and they've already got a desk and it would be inconvenient. Um, it didn't look like there was anything acrimonious. So it looks like a genuine hire. And for mm-hmm. basically what has been the slowest team on the grid at times over the last decade, to get a big name, a big well-known name from a top team who is going to have been at the top table of every meeting throughout eight championships or no seven championships Mercedes have have won team titles that's mm-hmm. got to be that's got to be a big plus and and he seems nice and he seems like he's going to go in there and be nice and take that mercedes niceness into williams which might be a bit of an antidote to to reports that jos capito was a little bit divisive and mm-hmm. if we go back we well, obviously we don't know jos capito but we'll right. take those reports with a pinch of salt if you go back then further with claire williams she seemed a bit more like an old school traditional like team principal on high like through fear my friend actually had a viral tweet where the cameraman was over her shoulder and it was a long text where she was berating the the uniforms of of one of the the pit crew they were, they were wearing shorts oh. instead of trousers and and this was it seemed like a a strangely specific an angry message to be sending when your team is 19th and 20th on the grid. Like, right, you know, right. And it, there was things like that where you go, okay, so that doesn't feel like an amazing place to work. Obviously, Jos Capito mm-hmm. doesn't seem to have made it nice. Maybe James Vowles can no. go in there and just make it a, a nice, enjoyable place to be and just return Williams to where they should be. Because since that win in 2012, which was a little bit out of the blue anyway at Barcelona... They had a strong showing in 2014, 
because they but they had the best engine. They had the Mercedes hybrid engine, which was miles and miles ahead of all the other engines. And they just seemed to strip all the aero off it so that it was basically every race was, every lap was a series of 14 rocket launches. And, uh, you know, and then they'd get to the corner, stop, have a few people kind of turn it around, pull the nose in one direction and then rocket launch again. But since then, it's been, it's just been, you know, a, a bit of a dire slip down the grid. And we're, they, you know, they obviously had funding issues. They missed days of testing. They mm-hmm. had drivers that were there purely because they could bring money. And yeah, for a midfield team to have a pay driver and a, and a quick driver, okay, maybe I can see the sense in that. But they had, at one point, Sorokin and Stroll. And when you've got Sorokin and Stroll in your Williams car, for Williams fans of old, and I, I can tell you now, I've been a, a, you know, a Williams well-wisher since the days of Nigel Mansell, to see Stroll and Sorokin in there just really said that the team were, was was dead as a racing ent- entity and they were mm. just trying to keep the lights on by bringing in that money. And that that mm-hmm. slide, though, hopefully has has turned around now with DeRolton and talks of other manufacturers coming in and being interested. I know there was a, a Porsche rumour that there was going to be a Williams mm. Porsche at one point. There seems to be like uh, some real hope and some interest in this team going in the right direction. And you are going to get a lot of very happy middle-aged F1 fans if Williams can just start being regular in the points. I'll be sitting here. Do you know what? Here we go. If they if they get, uh, let's say, <laughs> top 10 finishes, six top 10 finishes this year, I'm going to break my no merch rule. I'm going to splash out on <gasps> Williams merch. There you go. Ooh. Do you have any uh, any merch in mind already? Are you thinking like a hat, a shirt? What what's the what's the vibe like? Can you see Can you see my hairline? Yeah, hat, hat, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I am very excited about James being here. Um, from from what I've been reading about this, it seems like they see him as a relatively long term hire. Um, I think when they brought in uh, Yost, it. it Given his age and, you know, he'd been away from F1 for a while, it seemed like they knew that this was not going to be more than like a, you know, maybe handful of years situation. But with James, it seems like they're seeing this as kind of to set them up for the future, especially with their young drivers and his, you know, experience working with young drivers and just experience on a championship winning team. I think from what I've read, he's been part of nine constructors championships, even before Mercedes was branded as Mercedes. So, um yeah, I, th- I think this is really going to be big for a team that had eight points last year. Um, very, very sad, sad campaign <laughs> for them. Um, do, do you see this as much of a loss for Mercedes? I mean, I'm sure anytime you're losing somebody who's that high up and who has such great relationships within the team, it, it's going to be a loss. Do you see this kind of like shifting their their course at all? Or is it just kind of, you know, another example of them being su- such a... I don't know, wonderfully run organization. This is it. You know, the organization, that's the key word. So obviously we don't have any specific inside knowledge, but in a, if it was, you know, like a team where it was really based around one or two key figures, I don't know, I'm trying to come up with an example, but say the loss of Ross Braun to Ferrari, you might go, oh, this might signal mm. a couple of decades of, of constant disappointment. I'm not, I'm not sure you, you get that impression with Mercedes because they, they feel like a proper engineering mm-hmm. company, like a proper engineering firm with structures. They have requirements meetings. Those requirements get fed down to departments. 
um, I would I would imagine it's a very yeah, requirement and meeting driven design process rather than one genius with a etch a sketch. I assume etch a sketches are used in F one design. So a, a company like that, a good company like that, will have a a churn of of good people learning from other good people. So I don't imagine the loss of any one individual is going to completely you know put put Mercedes out of contention. Um, in fact, mm-hmm. you would probably say an organisation like that is more likely to have an abundance of people who can do the job at every level. And then they kind of become like a feeder, a feeder for good F1 personnel. Mm. So that whilst there was concern, like, oh, mm-hmm. Mercedes have lost one or two people. You know, there's, there's quite a few top people going. I think it's probably more an indication that they have a, a ladder of people coming through and they just don't want to hold people up in jobs where they could mm-hmm. easily do the next job above them. So no, not worried for Mercedes, excited for Williams. Good. Good. Me too. Um, Last big thing that I have here is the Nick DeVries lawsuit, which uh, is is very (laughs) interesting. And and I candidly have have more questions, I think, about this than I have opinions about it, but we can discuss. So last week, news broke that DeVries is being sued in Dutch court by a real estate magnate who had given him a loan uh, in 2018 so that he could compete in F2. so DeVries had gotten a 250,000 euro loan uh, from this investment company to pay for his F2 seat or help pay for his F2 seat. Um, the agreement had some interest rates attached as well as a clause that said DeVries would owe the firm a cut of all future F1 earnings uh, if he got a seat by 2022. Um, some reports say that that's up to 50% of what his earnings would be in F1, which seems very, very hefty to me. Um, but alas, the mm-hmm. loan would also apparently be waived if he didn't get an F1 seat in 2022. So DeVries ended up paying close to the full amount of the loan in interest. I think it was like around 190,000 euros. Um, But now he's being sued saying that he failed to provide information on his earnings and contracts. Um, So the firm is looking for information on those as well as apparently the details of his Alpha Tauri contract, I guess, to see kind of when he signed that and all of the details there. Um, DeVries has also apparently offered to just kind of pay out the loan on top of the interest, wipe the slate clean and move on. But apparently that's been rejected. So they are going to court over this. Um, so I guess my question is, are are these deals kind of common in F1? Is this sort of a unique case given the specifics of this and given, um, you know, all of the timing involved, kind of how do you make sense of all of this, I guess? So slightly out of my field of expertise, but let's pick apart what reports are are out there. So the individual Mm -hmm. that has has lent or had lent that money is Joran Schlotthurst, Schlotthurst, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And and he, he has done this with a few young drivers. So you could say, in a way, isn't it nice that a non-billionaire has a way to to take a risk, to take a gamble? And this is, you know, this is something I've learned over the last few years with drivers at every level that they do have to take financial risks if they're not a billionaire, even if you sure. want to go and do do GT three racing. So a friend of mine was telling me that uh, a couple of stories th- through their career that as a, as a young man, um, late teens took out uh, a huge, just normal bank loan. So huge, like on you and me level of huge, like several thousand Mm -hmm. pounds to get one drive Mm -hmm. in a single seat, a car, and then 
try and impress. And that was the idea. I'll, I'll go in there, I'll, I'll have one shot in a single-seater car, show everyone I'm brilliant. But actually, you'd gone into a field where everyone had been racing all season. Uh, maybe that was even their second or third year. They they were all kind of embedded in the team. They had teams that had better mechanics, better facilities, new tyres, better engines, all that kind of thing. You know, it went wrong and then he saddled with the debt. And the mm-hmm. same driver has told me that they've had insurance policies taken out Oh, so they insure themselves and they pay a lot to insure themselves in the car. And if they mm-hmm. crash, they would still have to pay £20,000, you know, as excess for totaling the car. So they have to drive in a in a different way to a billionaire mm-hmm. who can just afford to go out there and just, you know, do a do Mick Schumacher impressions in, in, in the wall every other race. So they have to drive differently. So something like this, really, if you could manage it properly and check that they're not being exploited... This feels like a good thing. Like an investment firm can invest in seven or eight young drivers. And if two of them make it to F1, they've made a a profit with this kind of deal. It actually doesn't seem unreasonable to me because if you were Nick DeFries and you could go back in time, would you take that deal again? Mm. You'd probably say you'd have to because what's the alternative is that you you lose your your shot at F2. So, and if someone is putting up that money and taking the risk, why shouldn't they make a, a profit? But it doesn't, seem to have played out super nicely. This uh, Yoren, I think, made a move, I am informed by my friend Jules Sagers, that the, it went bitter when he then wanted to become Nick DeFries' manager. And he said no. And yes. I think that's why now there's a bit of a, a strong arm pressure to go, let's go through every single detail of that contract and let's see if technically you actually were an F1 driver in 2022 because you did a, a race Therefore, right. that fulfills the contract and you now owe me half your wages, which I've just looked up is reported to be £300,000 for $300,000 for next year at Alpha Towery. So, you know, Nick's not going to mm-hmm. go hungry, but that is a, a big wedge of cash. And, uh, you know, and who knows mm-hmm. whether he's going to be, whether this is going to launch him because he's already 27. Is this going to launch him into an F1 career where he's going to earn millions going forward? Or is this his one chance to to make some top level money. Right. I, I I think my biggest question with the deal is sort of around that 50% mark of the earnings. If that is, and this is something, you know, maybe I'll just have to do some more reading on or some more looking into, but that, that feels relatively high for me, especially if, uh-huh. you know, he does yeah. end up having kind of a substantial long career. And and maybe that is, you know, the bet that this this firm and this investment group is, is making on him. And they're hoping that, um, they do get this massive return on investment and and that you know this this loan ends up paying off big for them i i am with you that it's it's good to have other investors in f1 and other people take a chance on these drivers especially you know they're both both of these people are dutch and um you know good to have home support from within your own country that's wonderful um so yeah, I'll be really curious to see how this plays out. I, I believe the ruling is expected to come in early February, so this should be wrapped up, you know, by the time testing is in earnest and by the time yeah. uh, the season starts. So we should we should get some details um, coming through then. But yeah, we'll, we'll be very curious to see what ends up being ruled there, especially, you know, when they determine what his status is as an F1 driver, whether it's having a full year contract, like you said, or having raced once last year. Mm. And to be to be clear, this isn't going to affect his status. His bum is going to be in that seat all season regardless. Right, right. This is just purely... And and to be honest, like it's not going to affect you know us as fans or our viewing experience. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a curiosity, but it does open up a wider yes. question of 
what these drivers who aren't billionaires are having to do. Do you want F1 to be the billionaire club or do you want drivers mm-hmm. of, of modest means to be able to, to find a way to fund their way up the ladder? Or do you want some series that, that don't require funding? Radical, I know. But look, this is one of my big bugbears with, with driving standards. Obviously, Formula One drivers are really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a lot of really, really talented drivers who just fall away at various stages because at some point you have to have a realistic conversation about the funding going forward and you have to convince someone to fund you. So it's either your parents, in the case of Stroll, Norris, Latifi, or, uh, or a national interest like this in the case of De Vries or uh, Magnussen. Magnussen has backing from Danish mm. companies, Perez, uh, mm-hmm. from Carlos Slim, who was looking for a, a Mexican driver to fund. Really, if there is a... If there is a desire to increase the driver standards and say, no, it's not a billionaire's club. Let's really have the best drivers competing. There'd be so many benefits. Not only would you improve the, the overall standard in Formula One, but you'd probably increase it down the grid as well to the point where people would be genuinely really interested in Formula Two, Formula Three, mm-hmm. and seeing who's coming through. And if you want this kind of motorsport to grow, do you just want the 20 Super Bowls? Like Liberty Media said, every Grand Prix should be like a Super Bowl. But you could also, you could enrich the whole ladder and you could just get everyone mm-hmm. appreciating motorsport on every level and let that feed an interest in the FIA's other stuff, like rally, you know, feed an interest in endurance racing as well. But that's it. Look, that's it. I'll get off my soapbox, Meg. <laughs> Ban the billionaires. No, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. As as an avid fan of uh, the NFL's regular season, as well as the Super Bowls, I, I'm with you. I, I stand with you. Um, I think that was the last big thing I had. Is there anything else you wanted to chat through before we wrap up? Oh, just, um, just a little one on the consequences of Mm -hmm. the Chinese Grand Prix being officially Ah. cancelled. Yes. Yeah. So the Chinese Grand Prix is cancelled and that was due to be race four. It leaves a really strange hole in the F1 calendar. So almost a month, right? Yeah. It's just about a month. In fact, it is, yeah, three days shy of a month. So we're going to have the, the testing. And then you're going to have race one in Bahrain, third of third of March. No, no, fifth of March is going to be race day there. Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Australia, right? And then you've got this mm-hmm. big gap before you then get to Baku, Miami, Monza, Monaco, Spain. So looking at the beginning part of that calendar, the first really annoying thing is that I don't think Saudi Arabia and Australia are what you would call like representative of the the the, fir- the last two thirds of the race calendar. So Australia always throws up some mm-hmm. odd results. And I think Saudi Arabia as well, because they're still using the temporary track. I'm just checking. I'm not getting muddled up here. But it's the the temporary track, isn't it, with the high sidewalls. And then you've got the weaving middle section uh, down what should be the back straight. That terrifies me, by the way. If, some, if there's a pileup, you've got cars coming yeah. through there at full straight type speed, like the speed they'd be going mm-hmm. down a straight, completely blind. So I held my breath. For that whole, for the whole race last time, um, Bahrain is probably you know more of a traditional tilkadrome. But I think you could have a surprise leader by the end of the Australian Grand Prix. You could have one team mm. looking really strong, and then that making no sense, which would be fine if there was going to be a race in two weeks. But there's going to be a month of people going, "Oh, I think Haas are a top three team," or something daft like that. So that's <laughs> going to be annoying from an armchair pundit point of view. And I think you're going to just get a taste of the season. And then suddenly you're going to have four weeks out. So maybe a little, a difficult one for the fans. But actually looking at uh, that whole season, 
the whole start to that season, you've got a lot of tracks that I wish would be distributed through the season a bit a bit more. So we've got a heavy mm. concentration of street tracks. So Saudi Arabia, Australia, mm-hmm. Baku, Azerbaijan, Miami, and then uh, and then Monaco yeah. as well. And then and then you've got Spain included in in that as the eighth race as round eight, which is notoriously mm-hmm. okay. hard to overtake. So like last season, people right. were writing off the new regulation set. They were going, oh, these regulations are boring. And said, no, they just front loaded it with tracks that are difficult to race on. <laughs> a little bit of good news in that. There's strong rumours now that the Spanish Grand Prix might take out the last chicane, which people mm. have been calling for for years and years. And that will make turn one a, a much stronger overtaking opportunity that would be the mm-hmm. the hope anyway yeah so f1 calendar no china although i i will say that i i do believe that they are looking at a 24 2024 comeback so that's not the end of the chinese grand prix which okay. for, for a racing point of view is is good news because that is a that's a fantastic track that is one mm-hmm. of the best tracks on the calendar yeah I, i'm with you i think it's going to be a little bit uh disjointed and and kind of hard to get into like a rhythm for our purposes over the first month of the year, having that giant, giant break in the middle Mm. of it. I I will say the the possibility of people talking about Haas as a top three team is incredibly exciting to me. So the fact that we (laughs) might get to do that for three weeks would be, would be wonderful. I I think it, that might, that in itself might be a bit of a gift, um, giving us three weeks to just go off of three different race results and and kind of expound upon those and try to prognosticate about that. But I, I am with you. It's going to be very, very hard to get into a flow. And it's it's going to be weird to, to come back after after a month away uh, in the spring. We're going to get two, two long breaks this season, which will be very interesting. Cool. Well, thank you, Spanners, for joining. Thank you, Erica Cervantes, as always, for the production help. Thanks all for listening. This has been the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. We will be back soon. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.